are listening to another episode of the Coach's Circle Podcast, brought to you by LifeCoachPath.com. Our goal is to explore all the different ways you can craft your own career in the fields of coaching, wellness, and mental health. Each episode features guests who offer an authentic perspective on their own unique career path and explores ways you might begin to craft your own. For more information on who we are and what we do, visit www.lifecoachpath.com. And now, here's your host, Brandon Baker. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Coaches Circle podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Nan Wise. Dr. Nan is a licensed psychotherapist, cognitive neuroscientist, certified sex therapist, and certified relationship specialist based in New Jersey. Hi, Dr. Nan. How are you? Hi. Thanks for having me, Brandon. Yes, absolutely. Um, Thanks for being on the show. I want to start us off by letting everybody know who you are. Can you tell us a little bit about the work you do and the kinds of clients that you see every day? Yeah. Well, I guess the best way I can put it is that I'm a a psychotherapist who's always interested in the brain. So I went back and I did a PhD in cognitive neuroscience, specializing in looking at the sexual brain, which we know very little about. And I think my unique identity is that I am an anxiety sufferer myself. I come from a long line of people who have a lot of anxiety. And so I've had to learn a lot of tools myself to be able to manage my own very reactive nervous system and be able to really enjoy myself anyway. And I've kind of made a really good living teaching what I've needed to know. And what I've expanded into is helping people understand. And this is really why I wrote the book, Why Good Sex Matters. It's it's about understanding how the core wired in emotional systems that we share with animals that are not discussed in psychology in general, how being able to learn to work with those core systems that show up in terms of things like anxiety in our bodies and a tendency towards depression, um, to panic, to uh, be maybe a little hot under the collar, mm-hmm. how these emotions basically infiltrate our brain minds and can hijack them. So it's really, my book, it's about sex, but it's really not just about sex. It's a window into understanding the role of pleasure in terms of balancing the emotional brain. So our relationship with sex gives us a pretty good window into our relationship with pleasure and beneath that, some of the imbalances in the core wired in emotional brain. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's a fascinating angle. It's not an angle that you'll hear too often when speaking with psychotherapists, but I think it's it's obviously been it's obviously been working. I mean, you've been doing it for I see on your website 20, 25 years, right? Um, 30. 30. 35. Yeah. I'm 63 years old today and I've been doing this since uh, I graduated um, social work school, which was when I was like 26. So it's a long time. <laughs> okay. Um, actually, you, you picked up on something that I, I wanted to follow up on. So you mentioned that you are an anxiety sufferer yourself. And that's actually something that I admired a lot about the way that you presented your practice on your on your site, where you right off the bat mentioned that that you have experience with anxiety. 
And that's not something that you'll see a lot of therapists come out and say. Um, it's something that in my conversations with therapists and coaches uh, all across the country at this point, it, it comes out in the span of a 20, 30 minute conversation when I ask, you know, what brought you to this field and what inspired you to do this kind of work. Sometimes it comes out at the at the end that, yeah, actually, in fact, I suffered from anxiety and I still have bouts of anxiety today. But in your case, you mentioned it front and center. And, and I, I really admire that. And I, I want to ask, how has that experience with anxiety um, throughout your life, how has that not only inspired you to to follow this this career, but also how has it informed the work that you do today? How does it make you a better therapist? Well, I think it's like when I talk to people and I'm authentic and genuine about my own struggles with anxiety, as well as like my credibility story. I mean, I literally went on the Today Show uh, right before COVID um, hit and I was interviewed by Maria Shriver. And I've worked with my nervous system over the years such that not only was I not nervous, I had a great time. I had such a wonderful time. I was so present, relaxed. And and I think the takeaway there is for us to learn that, first of all, we have these core wired in systems that were mapped out experimentally. And I never learned about any of this in any of the four psychology degrees I got. So this is not something that's widely appreciated and hasn't made its way into mainstream medicine or psychology or psychiatry, unfortunately. And I think, you know, one of the things I'm very um, keen on doing is educating people about how the brain mind works. I think that's really what my my book is all about. It's kind of like a user's manual to how the brain mind works and how we can work it better. So for me, you know, like... When I was first having anxiety attacks and I went to therapy, everybody was talking, all the therapists were saying, well, you must have repressed anger at your mom or, you know, there was some kind of, you know, psychological thing going on that if you just resolve it, the anxiety is going away. And and actually they missed the boat. So it was learning. Like I went off and I developed a lot, got a lot of tools. I went off to the Mind-Body Institute at Harvard and learned about yoga and meditation. And I went and became a yoga teacher and I learned about hypnotherapy so that we could work with. There's nothing to be ashamed about. You know, we come, all of us come with our sort of wiring prepackaged and then we have experiences that can make the anxiety or depression worse or better, you know, or kind of turn on, if we have stress, turn on the genes that contribute to having trouble regulating our emotions. And understanding that this, you know, anxiety is actually, you know, it's a good thing in a way that it helps you mobilize and and kind of, you know, anticipate. Get the blood flowing, yeah. Yeah, it's basically we needed anxiety to get our genes into the gene pool, but there's such a thing as too much of a good thing. Right, right. Fascinating. So you mentioned how, you know, the concepts in psychotherapy have changed from these antiquated ideas of repressed anger to your mother, um, these kind of old school ways of thinking, and compared to today where it's it's a lot more evolved than that. So I wanted to, something else I wanted to ask you, since you've been in the field for so long, um, how, what are, what are some of the biggest ways that schools of thought have changed since you first started? Um, I guess if you can well, point we, to some specific yeah. examples as well. 
Well, we've shifted from psychodynamic kind of approaches, which is how I was trained in grad school as a social worker the first time around, to cognitive behavior kinds of approaches, which are better. But, you know, what people don't understand is that by changing our thinking or changing our behavior, we can't always change what's going on in those core emotional systems. So the top of our minds are really smart. Like we know what we need to or want to do. We know we want to eat less or drink less or move more or be kinder to our partners. But cognitive behavioral therapy is not always effective. We're not always able to harness that to make the kinds of changes that we want to make because we get influenced and infused by inflammations of these core emotional systems. So by adding to therapy, uh, the working with the body, listening into the body and how the emotions are expressed within the body and help people learn how to, to harness that, to be able to tolerate those sensations in the body and learn kind of what's going on with their emotions to be able to be better, I guess, consumers and better, better educated consumers of the emotional brain. Right. Absolutely. That's, that's very well put. Um, I, I want to call attention to the fact that you, uh, you kind of alluded to it earlier, but um, I also wanted to mention that you have a PhD in cognitive neuroscience and you mention it on your site as well um, in, in several different places. So I, I, I want to, ask you how that biology-based background, that, that education um, that, that you have in, in, in cognitive neuroscience, how has that specifically um, impacted the work you do? Because it is pretty unique. I mean, mo most therapists that I speak to do not have that background. So, Well, I think what that added to it, it's like I've always been someone who's very inclined or interested in how the brain can, you know, how the brain contributes to our minds and moods and all of that. And prior to like the 1990s, actually, we didn't have methods to look at the working brain that, you know, we didn't have things like fMRI or PET scans. So my first go round, I didn't want to do animal work. We didn't have stuff we could do with people that when I got the opportunity and it was actually through when I was training as a sex therapist, I met Beverly Whipple, who's the lady who named the G-spot. Mm -hmm. um, she asked me to come down to the lab and help them as a clinician with, you know, kind of working with their participants. And I ended up going into actually going back to grad school so I could learn everything I could about the tools and techniques. I did functional magnetic resonance imaging for my doctorate. And what it did was it had me think more about the biology underneath the psychology underneath the culture and the learning and the relationships, which is how I discovered the work of Jak Pengsep, who is the man who mapped out these circuits in animals. And we know they exist in people too, because we've accidentally run against that. You know, they've been stimulating those circuits by accident during brain surgery, and you get the same emotional responses. Right. So, the, you know, we share these older parts of the brain with other animals, and people in psychology are so cognitive. They always think about thinking or, or what we say more cognitively infused emotions, meaning like 
you disrespected me, so I'm angry. Well, that's, a, you know, you have to really think about what somebody was supposed to do and they didn't do it. That's very opinion infused rather than just the core emotional experience of rage when we're blocked from what we need or want. That's a very more basic kind of thing or when we feel that we have to protect ourselves because we're literally being physically attacked. Those are more core. Right. So at the end of the day, it the doing that additional like science training and science you know, got me to dig deeper. And that's where I, then I wanted to really translate that for the lay reader. Cause the second part of my book is called this, the subtitles, understanding the neuroscience of pleasure for a smarter, happier, more purpose-filled life. So the takeaway there, you know, when we have anxiety or depression, we struggle with having pleasure, any kind of stress related thing or depression or anxiety we start to lose our ability to experience pleasure from everyday things. It's a symptom. Anhedonia is what it's called. It's a symptom of psychological issues and stress-related disorders and contributes it to, contributes to them as well. So what I've learned and what I've taught is pleasure is not a luxury. It's a necessity for the proper functioning of the emotional brain. Pleasure, the experience of pleasure is an important signal that the brain mind uses to ultimately kind of um, suss out what's what's good for us, what's not good for us. So it's gotten a little hijacked by, you know, two two bags of Doritos taste good, but they're <laughs> not good for us. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm absolutely a huge proponent of you know, a more biological understanding of the human mind. Actually, <clears throat> I know that, well, first, I, I should mention, I, I majored in evolutionary psychology in oh. college. And so um, it's something that I'm really, really passionate about. And I'm glad to see that the field of psychology in general has <clears throat> become kinder to the biological side. I mean, it, it, because you're right, for a long time, it was seen as completely separate. You know, there's mm -hmm. biology and then there's the brain. This kind of like <clears throat> this kind of like duality, right? Mm -hmm. Where the brain is completely separate. And it, I think that stems out of your intuition. Like in intuitively, you hurt your 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 arm, let's say, that feels very different from having your feelings hurt. And so mm -hmm. this intuition gives the illusion that the mind and the body are inherently different. And I think, well, you understand obviously very well that that is not, in fact, the case. And and you can get you, you can glean a lot of knowledge from studies of other animals as well to that end. Absolutely. Yeah, so. absolutely. And, and being able to add listening into the body and working with the body in therapy is key, key, key to being able to help people harness their nervous systems because what mostly is happening is people are so overstimulated into flight or fight and all that kind of you know the adrenaline and the cortisol and the stress hormones that we're imbalanced and we're not able to think clearly we're not able to experience pleasure and you know the the important signals for healthy hedonism connection with other people which stimulates the release of our own in our own opiates. The care system is how we feel good and it's good for us. Relationships. If we've learned nothing from COVID, 
is that the quality of our relationships are the, well, we, we knew this before, but it's highlighted. It's the most important predictor of people's well-being. Absolutely. And, and if I can segue into talk about my specialty, which I call therapeutic coaching. Sure. I was about it, to segue into that oh, myself. Great. Well, great yeah. minds think alike, Brandon. <laughs> Um, you know, what I look at is sitting there and just, you know, people need tools, Brandon. They need tools on the tool belt. They need to know how to work with their bodies. They need to know how to work with giving themselves good suggestions and then focusing on using their attention to look for wins and to manage things that are challenging. They need to have a vision for the, the next leg of their journey. So in my chapter seven, I talk about operational intelligence. And a big part of that is helping people come up with a plan. And I think that's where we overlap with coaching. Coaching is sort of like oriented to what do people want? Right, forward looking, yep. Forward looking, how do we create it? So I have taken, and I actually like coaching a lot. I did a lot of ex- getting coached myself with, with and through these trainings that I took. And it wasn't therapy per se, but it was like figuring out what do you want? What are you going to do that increases the probability of creating it? What are the messages you can give yourself? How do you harness these brilliant brains that we have towards creating those outcomes? And who can support us in doing that? That's the modality. So most people I'm working with within a period of of like four to six sessions kind of helping them come up with a plan, teaching them the tools, and then working with them on an ongoing basis after the sessions, you know, you know, wrap up in helping them keep focused on creating the new emotional habits that will lead to the behaviors that are sustainable. Right. And this is where I feel exactly what you just mentioned about creating that habit. I think that is where coaching so perfectly picks up where therapy leaves off Mm -hmm. and that's why i think coaching has taken off over the past you know 10 15 years and especially in the wake of covid where um you know there's so many more areas of stress now that our human minds are not equipped to deal with i mean even this very conversation we're having right now like it's it's great it's it's fantastic that we're able to have these remote conversations, whether it's in the form of a podcast or whether it's in the form of a therapy session or what have you. But the human mind is more equipped, obviously, for face-to-face interaction, real, you know, I guess that type of connection. And that, that you know, lack of, um, you know, face-to-face interaction and this, this kind of new normal that COVID has ushered in, I think is creating a lot of um, undue stress and that, that coaching is 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 well suited to to tackle so um so yeah i'm i'm i couldn't be happier to see that that coaching has um has really been thrust into the mainstream Um, may jump in here and make a point about the face-to-face and flesh-to-flesh thing absolutely even before covid brandon oh sure yeah People were experiencing increases in depression, anxiety, stress-related disorders. People were, we were in a sexual recession. I, I write my first chapter is all about the pleasure crisis. And, and it's gotten worse. It hasn't gotten better. But one of the things that we really need to look at 
is just because people can be in a room with each other doesn't mean they're paying attention to each other. People have been basically hijacking one of the main, actually the main emotional system, which is the seeking system powered by dopamine, which is designed by nature to work on harnessing our attention to meet our needs. This has been hijacked by our devices, by divided attention, by continuous partial attention, always like looking at our screens and being afraid to miss texts and all of that. So we, in some ways, you can actually connect better if you do like a Zoom and you're actually looking at somebody oh, and you're listening to them. So that's why, you know, this telemedicine thing works. You don't have to be flesh to flesh to be able to do good connection because face to face and really listening, not texting, really listening to somebody actually helps people downregulate the, you know, the overactivity of the stress reactions. We're designed with something called the social vagus. It's a system that helps us calm our nervous systems with and through looking at people and listening to people. So you can be in, I was always in rooms with people that were like on their devices. They weren't, you know, really paying attention. So the harnessing the power of attention, even if it's remotely, by looking and listening can be a great way of fostering connection, true connection. Absolutely. And actually the the power of attention, I think what I remembered when you told me about your experience getting interviewed by Maria Shriver is that, I mean, I've had moments, I haven't been interviewed by anybody like that, but I, I've had moments where I knew that I was going to be in a high anxiety situation. And the only solution that I've ever been able to find to that is what you just said, the power of attention, making sure that your attention is flowing only in one direction. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're, you know, think about maybe the most high, one of the most high pressure situations. I don't know. Let, let's say you're getting interviewed by, uh, I don't know, a, a, you know, nighttime talk show kind of thing, or like you're in front of millions of people on live TV, or you're giving a big speech, um, something like that. If you just focus on the conversation you're having with one person, as if you're sitting in a coffee shop somewhere, all that other extraneous stuff that is really what's causing the stress, like, oh, look at all these people, look at um, what am I going to say? How do I look? How do I sound? Did I forget to lock my car? Whatever the case may be. If you just if you just really strive to focus your attention on that one thing, just the conversation you're having and block out everything else, that is almost like a it's almost like a magic pill that just serves to dissolve all that other stress inducing um, all those other stress inducing thought patterns that you might be having. I mean, at least that was my experience. Of course, I can't speak for anybody else, but I am definitely a believer in the power of focused attention. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think one of the differences that we can highlight for the listeners is one of the differences between coaching and therapy. Coaching, presumably, you're working with people who aren't having major problems in the emotional department. So they're not severely anxious right. or depressed or right. managing. So if your emotional brain is working pretty well, you're going to be able to harness your attention better. If, however, you've got all of this sort of like stuff going on in the basement of the brain, panic, fear, a, an inflammation of like, you know, just the rage system, mm -hmm. it's going to hijack your attention and you're going to be too 
overstimulated and too distracted to really put the attention in a way like you said. So I right, think that right. might be a good good way of like if you're working with people who are basically working with their equipment working pretty well that just need to focus attention, that's great. And that's a very important. I think attention's everything. Right. Yeah, I think that's a very important kind of disclaimer <laughs> to what I was saying because you're right. For those who are in need of, you know, therapeutic work, I think I think what I'm saying is not going to just instantly solve whatever anxiety-related problems they're having. But yes, for somebody who is kind of at baseline, for somebody who doesn't have, you know, those underlying um, issues, then yeah, I, I think the power of focused attention is extremely powerful. And um, so yeah, Dr. Nan, this was this was really, really informative. I, I want to... I want to give listeners a chance to find out more about you. I think your site is just a wealth of information for anybody that has an interest in kind of the the biological kind of impact of of psychological work. And so I want to give you the chance to, to tell listeners where they can find you and how they can learn more about you. Well, they can go to my website, Ask Dr. Nan, and Dr. Nan is spelled out. S-Doctor-D-O-C-T-O-R-N-A-N.com. And anybody who wants to speak to me for a free consult can book one right there. So I can, I'm available for people if they want to just ask questions or learn more about me. That's the place to go. And I have a lot of the articles that I've written. I have an excerpt of my book there. And I, you know, I think I'm actually working with a coaching company that does uh, relationship coaching. And they're using my book as a good way of educating themselves about the emotional system so that people can be kind of clearer for themselves about how to be able to adapt that into a coaching environment rather than a therapy environment. So I think my book is a great um, a great source of information for coaches and therapists. Absolutely. And I want to I want to remind everybody if they do want to check out the book. It's just AskDrNan.com slash book. You can buy the book on Amazon. It's called Why Good Sex Matters. I think the topic of the neuroscience of pleasure, especially in the context that you just described as kind of a gateway into understanding the mind as a whole, um, I think that's just fascinating. So anybody interested, they can check out the book. And Dr. Nan, again, I I really appreciate your time and your expertise. And um, I think it was a great show. Thank you so much. This is a pleasure for me, literally, Brandon, a lot of fun. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. We'll be in touch. Okay, my pleasure. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Coaches Circle Podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to our show just as much as we enjoyed making it. If you'd like to check out a complete listing of all of the episodes on our show, head on over to lifecoachpath.com slash podcast. See you on the next one.